All right, good morning. What a bittersweet morning, huh? Saying goodbyes. I hate goodbyes. Uh, I like welcomes a lot better, but uh, we are a family uh, of Christians and churches around the world, so we do have a lot of movements uh, back and forth. So um, we'll have a great chance this afternoon to say goodbye to Sally, and then uh, next week we'll get a chance to welcome some folks who are moving in as well. But I like uh, the uh, Monzon, Javier and Pat, to stand on up. They are from the Church of New York. And are they around here somewhere? There they are. Javier, you got to stand on up. They are uh, moving into Los Angeles at this point. Uh, Javier is a professor at uh, Pepperdine University. And uh, Javier, can you stand on up? I mean, I don't think we believe that you're a professor. He's 34 years old. He's a professor of, of biology and uh, evolution at Pepperdine. And I want to check your driver's license, man. I don't believe you. I want to see some credentials today, uh, who you are before we admit you into our church. Um, but uh, also, a little bit sad today, too, is that we don't see the teens. Uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, they're not playing hooky, but they are out on a teen camp. So uh, they will be back next week. And we miss them, I think, right? I think we miss them uh, a little bit. We miss them a little bit. So, let's see, what else do I got today? We want to celebrate a very special anniversary. Uh, this was a week and a half ago, but I wanted to do it myself. And let me get uh, Joe and Gracie. Are they here somewhere or are they traveling still? Then they're back somewhere? This is Joe and Gracie Severa. They, uh, are, they celebrated their 50th anniversary last week. So they got married in 1965, and it was two years, a year before I was born. So they've been longer uh, married than I've been alive. Isn't that amazing? So uh, really, I wish them, they're a great couple in the church, and if you see them, please really encourage them in, in an age where it's really, this is a rarity uh, for someone who has made it through that far. You know, uh, for the last few weeks, we've started a series uh, called Jesus in His Own Words. And there are so many things about what Jesus attributed to Jesus and what He has said and what He has done. We thought it'd be good during the summer to uh, go back and see what He said about these very important topics. Uh, we talked about how uh, Jesus talked about himself and what he attributed, who he was. And, and really, Jesus was such an amazing person. Not only that he was God, but he lived here with us, taught us some amazing things. But uh, we really had to figure out not only who he was, but what he was as well. And then we talked about the kingdom. And uh, that's something that we look forward to. And the church is part of that kingdom if we remain true to God's word and uh, that we hope that we can build up what that kingdom looks like here on earth. And last week, I thought Kenny did such a great job uh, to talk about life. Isn't that amazing? And uh, Kenny is such a, uh, he's at teen camp right now. He's such a perfectionist. So right after uh, he preached, he came up to me. He says, how did I do? How did I do? I thought you did great. Uh, awesome job. I mean, just a 23-year-old young man just sharing the word of God to us. And today I'm going to do uh, justice and what Jesus talked about justice. And next week, we're going to hear from our young minister in the campus, Chaz Antennal. And he's going to preach about eternity. Amen? Yeah. 
Today, justice. Jesus, in his own words, about justice. You know, that is such a wide and deep topic to talk about. You know, justice on earth. And can we find it? And it almost seems like every day we find in the news that there's a yearning and there's a fight for true justice here on earth. And uh, Adrienne Newsom is going to come up and share a little bit uh, about her experience. She's a lawyer, practicing lawyer, about that topic today, about what that means. You know, can we find justice here on earth? Adrienne Newsom. Thank you. So, yeah, as Ken mentioned, I'm an attorney, and, he, you know, so he called me on Monday and said, oh, you know, you're an attorney. <laughs> what are your thoughts on justice? And, and honestly, initially, I'm thinking, you know, justice is it's a tricky concept because, you know, when we've made a mistake or we've done something wrong, like, personally, I don't want justice. You know, I want leniency or mercy or, or I at least want an opportunity to be understood. But then when we've been hurt or wronged, we want so-called justice. You know, often beyond what's even appropriate, you know, for what might have been done to us. And, you know, if you've ever seen the Godfather movies, which, you know, my husband and I were big fans of Godfather. But, you know, there's a scene where a man comes to the Godfather because this man's daughter has been attacked. And he wants the man killed. And the godfather is like, well, your daughter, she's alive. So that wouldn't be justice. And, you know, when we, we can bring that same attitude to the legal system. Like when we're trying to seek justice. You know, it's like an exaggerated or an unrealistic expectation of, of what we're going to get. And, you know, I'm an attorney. Like, I love our legal system. I feel like it has a lot of measures in place to try to bring equity and equality. But, but the system is flawed. I mean, honestly. If you have a better lawyer, then you have a better opportunity to get what it is that you're claiming. And it's not necessarily justice. Um, you know, the jury selection process can be flawed. You know, people on the jury can try to lie or hide their bias. Or even depending on the lawyer who's conducting that, you know, they might be better at asking the right questions. Or maybe depending on what judge you might get. You know, so there are all these opportunities, you know, the police officer might make a mistake, Tony, <laughs> with the evidence, the chain of custody. You know, I mean, there are all these opportunities where you might not get so-called justice or it might not be fair. Or we could look at sentencing. You know, you can feel like the sentencing isn't necessarily fair based on the crime that's been committed. It can either be too lenient or it could be maybe too harsh. And so in my mind, you know, when I think about justice, like, I don't like to think that I'm going to have to try to get justice from within our system. You know, unless I can try to find peace within myself about something that's happened or wrestle and come to grips with what's happened, I feel like we're going to be sorely disappointed if we're really just trying to seek justice from the system or justice from people. And, you know, it can lead us down a path of rage or anger, or even some people might try to take matters into their own hands. Or we can become disappointed or depressed. And, and, you know, neither way is fulfilling. And I know last week our lesson, you know, was talking about lead, leading a life that's worthy. Like, not, neither of those paths is going to lead to a life that's worthy or fulfilling. And, you know, there's a scripture that says that many seek an audience with a ruler, but it's from the Lord that one gets justice. 
And, you know, that's how I feel. And that might not be in our time. It might not be in the way that we might think. But ultimately, like, God is going to be the one to bring about justice. And I think for us, like, my, my legal advice for all of us is to try to seek peace and pursue it. So that's, that's my two cents on justice. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Great job, Adrian. Well, Adrian gave me more credit than I deserved. She said I told her on Monday. I usually tell people on Saturday. Uh, so I appreciate it. I figure she's a lawyer. She needs a little time to prepare. It is a really deep topic, and we're going to limit our scope today and talk about how we respond to what Adrian talked about in terms of an unjust and unfair world that we live in. Because there is no perfect justice outside of God. There is no variable that is left, no, you know, outside. There, there, there are so many converging factors and variables that invariably something is going to be missed. There is no perfect justice. And as we live in this world, we try to do the best that we can. And how do we interface with that as we live in this world, as we wait for our turn uh, to go to heaven? But what do we do while we're still here? All right. In the Old Testament, you know, sometimes I love these scriptures because the Bible distills things for us and gives us, like, I'm looking for something that I can handle. I'm looking for something that I can really walk away with, something simple, right? And in the book of Micah, in verse uh, 8 of chapter 6, the Bible says this simply, says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your it falls in line with uh, Adrian's advice about, you know, we live in this world where there is no justice. We seek justice, but we try to find the peace that comes from humbly walking with our God. Another scripture I really like about justice as we get ready to go into our main text is in Proverbs 31. As, you know, we look at what that means, you know, to do justice. The Bible says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. That's one aspect of how we can do justice. We can learn how to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So already we look at these two scriptures and we go, wow, there is an incredible responsibility that God has laid upon us. We're not here just to live a life and then get what we need to find happiness and joy, and then move on to the next life. God actually, actually expects us in this world where there's imperfect justice to be a part of the solution. And he says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You know, I want to give you some reference here as we look at some of the things today. Um, this is a great book that I drew a lot of the, uh, the sources from. It's called The Hole in the Gospel. It was written by a man named Richard Stearns, who left an incredible job to go into uh, Hope uh, World Vision and to do this organization that is indeed trying to find justice for the poor around the world. Another book that I use in order to do this lesson today uh, is Anger, The Taming of a Powerful Emotion. We're going to see how that fits into it as well. I, I got this book mainly for myself. And if you're a man, I mean, you really understand that anger is an emotion that we, we need to learn to deal with. And the third book that I use was uh, written by a professor at Pepperdine, 
and he edited this book. It's called Law and the Bible, and it tracks all the way from the beginning to the end about how God tries to institute justice first in the world pre-fall in the Garden of Eden and after as well, after the fall of man. This is a really great book, by the way. In the book of Genesis, God lays out what the law is, and sometimes we think, you know, we have a vision of what heaven is like. And to be honest with you, when I read Genesis 1 and 2, it shatters my vision of heaven. Some of the visions I have of heaven is that I get not to work a day in my life, right? And that's what I look forward to in heaven, is not working. Yet you see in the Bible, before the fall of man, that God sets his whole world and he asks Adam to work the land. So there is, unfortunately, there is work in heaven. I think it's good work, but nonetheless, there's work, okay? Another thing we see in pre-fall man is what? There's a need for relationship. You would think that in, in, in paradise there's not a need. But the Bible says that God created all these things as it was very good. But he saw that Adam was alone. He says it was not good. And it blew my mind to realize that there was a need in paradise for relationship. We're going to see a glimpse of how God sets up justice in paradise. The Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This was God's intended government. The Bible says that God, plural, wanted to make us in his likeness. And the Bible says what? Was to let us to rule over the dominion of the earth. And the Bible says that God says that uh, this is your role. I am God. You are second mankind. And you're going to be with me and you're going to help me rule the world. That's a pretty amazing uh, job description that God gave. That was the intended job that we have. And in so many ways, it's still true today. We are still dominion over the world. You know, in the last couple of days, I don't know if you've been watching uh, the story about the guy who's killing the lions in South Africa. That's not what God intended. And it's so funny because uh, for the last couple of days, they're trying to find out if the lion's brother was also killed. And the lion's brother's name is Jericho. And uh, good news, it was the wrong lion. They killed the wrong lion. Jericho is still alive today. I thought that was kind of funny. So this was God's intended purpose for us. I hope that we're beginning to see that there is purpose for us here on earth. Don't you think? It's great that we're not just here to eat, sleep, die, and move on. That we're here to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. We're here to take care of the land that God has given us. God is green. He's not, he's not this aloof person. He is green. He holds us responsible. But look what happens. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, take care of it, remember? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God puts condition on this government. He says, you can do whatever you want. You have dominion over the earth, but I need you to not do this. Simple enough, don't you think? Simple enough. We have a three-year-old daughter, and I love the scripture because 
It is not simple at all. Starting from little all the way on up. Anytime that we're told not to do something, it seems like invariably that's what we kind of gravitate on doing. Maybe God shouldn't have said that, but, you know, God gave the command. He says, listen, straight out, and he lays out the groundwork. I need you guys to respect me on this one. And Satan goes on to exploit uh, the scripture. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. Isn't that amazing? That when God created us, not only did he say, I'm going to give you power, but he actually does. And he gives mankind in his image, the image of a creator, to give mankind, Adam, really the power to create as well. The power to be creative, the power to make decisions, and the power to rule over this land that God gives. What an incredible responsibility. And whatever the name that Adam gave, God says, so be it. That God respected man enough that he gave him authority and respected his authority. So what happened from here? When the serpent came, he isolated Eve and he messed with her mind and the Bible said this and Eve, really just all of us as well. He came to Eve and he says, you will certainly not die. For the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, not know, uh, knowing good and evil. Pretty sneaky stuff if you look at it. And it still is employed today. What does he do? Number one, he makes Eve doubt the word of God. He goes, listen, you're not going to die. Did God really say that? And I think for us today in this room, it really calls us to have a deeper knowledge in the Word of God. There are so many things that are around. What does the Bible say? What do people say? But do we have a reference point that we hold on to? Are we being tossed back and forth by the waves and by our own emotions as well? I don't know how long this interaction went, but it was just one sentence in, in some ways. Very few. You will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman. And God, and he even puts a doubt into Eve's mind. What? That God really, maybe he's not such a good person or a good God at all. That maybe he doesn't want you to know this because he's afraid that you're going to be just like him. So, in essence, what is Satan doing? He's trying to get Eve and Adam to break the law, the government of God, to make man seek out for his own good, the good life that he wants, to put himself and herself on the par with God. Not much has changed, don't you think? Not much has changed today. Within a few sentences, man falls, and we enter into a new phase of government, a new phase of justice, which, just like Adrian talked about, it is far from being perfect. I was going to cut this out and just start on the second verse, but I thought it would be good. It says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife 
and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from all its days of your life. Why is it so hard today to go through this life? Why is it so difficult to find justice? Why is it so difficult to find out what's true? Why is life so hard? And the answer lies right there. Not because Adam listened to Eve, that's what the Bible says, but because Adam listened to anyone, any source other than God first. That is something that we need to think about today. What is our source? Are we really rooted in the Word of God? Do we know the Word of God? I got this little cartoon here. I thought it was kind of cool. If they had TV back then, maybe we would have bypassed all this mess because uh, Adam would not have listened to Eve because he was busy with the game, and uh, we would still be fine. Uh, but yeah, they didn't have TV back then. So what happens is that we enter this new world where there's imperfection is introduced into the world. Pain and suffering is introduced into the world, and that's the world that we live in today. So how do we navigate through that? That's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, from very, very short, from Genesis 2 to Genesis 4, we find the first murder, and then Cain said to God, the Bible says, Then the Lord God said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? You know, it's an amazing thing about God is that he still asks questions, even though he knows exactly where things are at. That's what I appreciate about God. You know, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And even here, God knew exactly what Cain did, and he still asked him, he says, Hey, where is your brother? That we're, we are accountable for the actions that we've committed. That's what justice is. And then he, said, he says, I don't know. And he says, I am I my brother's keeper. And he comes back to God and he, he almost says, listen, man, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you making me, again, responsible for my brother?" But he does. God says, you are responsible. Where is your brother? Where is uh, the person that you have killed? And God calls uh, Cain to account. And that's the world that we live in today. All the laws that we've set up, even though there's a remnant of it looking, a semblance of it looking like the law of God that God sets up, but it's still only a shadow or, or just a small reflection of God. So we fight, and so we wrestle in this world. Jesus, in his own words, what did Jesus say about justice? And we're going to go old school today, uh, because we've been going through our first principles, right? And we're learning how to get back into our scriptures and memorizing scriptures and going back into the book ourselves. Let's see our, our fingers flip through the pages in Luke chapter 18. And we're going to find out this woman, and we're going to set things up here. And uh, we're going to talk about justice in Jesus' words. How many of you guys are UFC fighting fans? I know Chaz is. I know Chaz was mourning the death of Roddy Piper yesterday. He was, he was a big-time wrestler in the 80s. But uh, who knows what happened last night? Last night was a big fight, right? Ronda Rousey and uh, this woman from Brazil. 
she went down to Brazil to fight this woman, and it was trash talk and, and all this stuff, and it was 59 bucks on a pay-per-view. No, I mean, who wants to watch, you know, two girls fighting? But not me, not me, all right? All right, but, uh, but uh, I think uh, it, it, it was very short. And this woman was uh, the beast. In the last three fights, in the last three fights, she's taken down her opponent. And guess what's the total time for those three fights are? I think one minute and 20-something seconds. She annihilated. There is no competitor next to Ronda Rousey, okay? You know how the scripture says that, uh, you know, women are the weaker sex because they're not as strong? Well, that doesn't apply to Ronda Rousey. I mean, she will take any one of us in this room easily, easily. I mean, she will knock us out, okay? So I set this up because there was a confrontation that Jesus sets up as well. All right? Let's read together in Luke chapter 17. I 18, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So basically, Jesus sets up this story about, to help us understand what justice is. And he said there are two people in this story, and one is a judge that is all-powerful in that little town. And usually in those days, the judge in those towns had incredible authority because he was the one that judged between even trivial matters to the big matters. And the Bible sets this guy up and says that he, what kind of character did he have? He cared neither about men nor did he fear God. You talk about injustice. This was it. And Jesus says that the, on the one corner is this guy, and on the other corner was a little widow who came up to him and expected and demanded justice from this man against her adversary. Who do you think is going to win? Well, in the world sense, it's going to be like what Adrian talked about. The guy who finds the best lawyer, the girl who has the best legal team representing, and Jesus sets up and says, that's the way it was back then as well. But he tells the story that this woman did not give up in verse 4. He says, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjudge, uh, unjust judge uh, says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him night, day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? What a great passage. In a few sentences, Jesus explains to us how we should respond to the injustice of this world. We're going to look at three points today. How do we respond? We need to be wise. How do we respond? We need to be angry. And how do we respond? We need to be faithful. Wisdom. What does that mean? 
Jesus says that's the way it is. That's the way it is. We look around the world today and we feel so small sometimes. We feel like, man, I am just a little piece of the 7 billion people around the earth. And what do I, what is my significance in this world? And Jesus says, be wise. He says that that's the way that it is. You know, when I asked Adrienne to come up and share about, you know, her law practice, and she bluntly just said straight out what she just said. She said, it's unfair, and that's just the way it is. And I said, wow, that's not comforting at all. Can you explain a little bit more? And she said, listen, I've been practicing law for a long time. That's just the way it is. That we live in the world that the Bible says there is an unjust judge. He cares neither about you nor he cares about God. And that's just the way it is. And the Bible says that this woman could just walk away and accept her faith and say, you know what, crawl into a shell and accept it and says, no more. And that's what, to be honest with you, a lot of us do. We look at the world today and it's like, we, you know what, let me just take care of my issues. Let me care about what is best for me. And that's it. That's all I can have on my plate. And yet the Bible says Jesus used this woman and says, that's not who we should be. We are more than that. That we're not insignificant. We're not just sitting around and led buffeted by the world. And look at the news and say, that's just the way it is. It is the way it is, but we can do something about it. I hope that in the last few weeks, as we look at Jesus' words, that there is a call to action. There is a call to be angry at some of these things. You know, I'm 48 years old, and there is a movement in the last few years. There is a movement towards Passivity. There is a movement towards a tolerance, which is good in some part, but there is another part that really is not what God calls us to be. The second point of this, and, and we're going to just gel these points together, is that God calls us actually to be angry. Did you know that? And it is not chic today to be angry, but you know what? Is it really God calls us to actually be angry and yet what? Not sin. You know, in the whole of our gospel, Richard Stearns writes this. He says the idea behind the whole in our gospel is quite simple. It's basically the belief that being a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ requires much more than just having a personal and a transforming relationship with God. He said, that's so much more than that. It's so much more than going to the Himalayas and, and then sitting up down to a place and finding our, our, our relationship with God and feeling good about ourselves. Having our, our times in the Word and, and praying and go about. It doesn't make sense, he says. He says, it also entails a public and a transforming relationship with the world. So that's why Richard Stearns left his big job. He was the CEO of a huge company and he was called into service into the nonprofit world because that's his conviction. He says, it's not enough to say that I have a relationship with God. 
that in that relationship with God, it needs to transform into our relationship with the world. And how do we interface with the world? How do we care about people? What do we see? What do we think about the injustice that we see around the world? And does that stir our hearts? You see, sometimes anger is so bad. It is. It is. It's destructive. I bought that book mainly for myself. And I got that book way before this lesson here. Because I look back to my own life, and I got three girls. And, you know, Elizabeth is 20 years old, and she's turning 20, and Nicole's 17, and, and Gabby's three. And I look at Gabby, and I go, wow, what a great opportunity to redo some of the things that I messed up in with Elizabeth and Nicole. Less so with Nicole. You know, in the Old Testament, um, God gave a, a pretty cool command. And he said that in the inheritance, right, he says that the oldest son gets a double portion of the inheritance. Meaning that if you have three, three kids, right, you divide inheritance not only to three, but you divide into four shares, and the older sons get two shares. It took me a long time to figure this out why, okay? And I finally figured it out because the older son gone through so much abuse and so much nonsense from the father and all the mistakes that's been poured into them. They get a double portion to get therapy. They get a double portion to take a long, va long vacation. They get, they get, you know, just says, I am so sorry for the stupidity. Here's a double portion. And, uh... I, that, that's, my, that's my conviction. Okay? That's just my own little reading into the scripture. Okay? So I made some mistakes in my life. I've looked through and I go, man, I've really, really made some mistakes. And, and one of the things that I've really taught, Lena and I try to teach our girls over the years is this. There are times when I've blown it and they were so young that they couldn't figure out how to talk back to me. I've had to learn over the years to come back after my bouts of anger or unjustified anger and to go back and teach Elizabeth and Nicole that that was dad's fault. You don't have to take responsibility for any of that. That was dad's fault. Because here's, here's, here's my thinking in that. I want them to be mature. I want them to be able to discern what is their fault and what is someone else's fault? Because not everything is their fault. There are people that take responsibility for everything. Everything that goes wrong, they feel guilty about. They're, they're guilted out. You know, everything that goes wrong. Oh, man, the lion got shot in Africa. Somehow, some way, I, did, I had something to do with that, you know? And on the other extreme, on the other extreme, there are people that what? They take absolutely no responsibility for anything. Both is equally unhealthy, right? What is healthy is the person that learns how to figure out, that's my fault. That's, that's my fault. That's not my fault, but this one, I own this one. It's the same thing with anger. It's the same thing with anger. Anger in it by itself is not wrong. The Bible says that God is love, right? It does not say that God is anger, but if you look at the Bible, God sees, uses a lot of that emotion. You see a lot of that emotion in God, the anger part. 
Because when God looks at the world today, He does feel anger. He does hurt for the world. He does see injustice in the world. And He wants us. That's why He's pleading with us. Do something about this. I need you to be like this woman. And that's why the Scripture says, in your anger, what? Sin not. This is from Johnny Cash. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Oh, we're so spiritual. Oh, we're so above it all. And Johnny Cash says, you are no good on this earth. What is that? It's facetious, don't you think? It's pretty facetious. He says, man, do something while you are here. Chip in. Help out. Make a difference in this world that we live in. You know, this is the King James Version. It says, be ye angry and sin not. And not let the sun go down upon your wrath. It actually commands us to what? Be angry. God actually expects us to be angry. It's, it's, it's not. And you look at the scripture and what kind of anger does God want us to have? It's the kind of anger that this woman had, right? Grant me justice against my adversary, and I don't care who you are. And I don't care how long it takes for me to come back over and over and over again. But I'm going to come back. It is not a flash-in-the-pan kind of destructive anger. What kind of anger it is? It's an anger that says, not let the sun go down and be angry. It's a slow-burning, constructive, instructive kind of anger that prompts us into action. It's that kind of anger. I want to ask you a question today. Do you feel angry when you look at the world? Or do you turn away and just look at the sports section? Do you turn away and just go, you know what, I'm I'm just going to retreat into my world and let me just make it through instead of really having this kind of spirit that Jesus calls us to have. Be angry yet not sin. You know, in Revelation, as we close on out, the last point was, uh, what? Be faithful. Be faithful. You know, this scripture here says what? These people already died. Okay? These people died. These were Christians who already died. And in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 10, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had uh, maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, O sovereign Lord? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? These folks were what? Speaking from the grave. What does that mean? That means that they did not get justice in their lifetime here on earth. And they were crying out from the grave, God, grant me justice. And I hope that's not disappointing to us, but I think that instinctively we already know this, that we are not going to get everything that we want on this earth. And I think what it should do to us is that it should give us a peace in that we don't have to do that. 
that we don't have to make people pay, that we don't have to get that person or, you know, just make sure that he gets his. Because in our heart of hearts, we know what? That God is going to take care of that. And it should free us up to do what? To find justice and to do justice for someone else. I love the scripture. I love the scripture. It's the ultimate, you know, David and Goliath. Ronda Rousey and Ken Chow. I mean, that woman is going to beat the tar out of me if I go in the ring. I mean, just like two seconds. I just run away. In verse, as we close on out in verse 18, be faithful. He says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? There's really a two-pronged answer or, or issue here. Will he find faith, meaning that will he find us doing justice? And number two, will he find us really having that trust in our hearts that God is going to take care of this? I don't have to worry about some of these things. That I can let my heart go. I can not let the sun go down while I'm still angry, the bad angry. And really have a slow burn angry for this world, the injustice. But trust God that he will take care of it. And Jesus says, man, will he find faith when he comes? Will he find us faithful, trusting in God, saying, you know what? The world can fall apart. I'm fine. I'm fine. That's powerful. That's powerful. So last week, um, our brother Scott passed away. And he died yesterday at around 10.30 a.m. in the morning after a prolonged bout with cancer. And um, we're going to get some information out this next week on um, the funeral, which is mainly a small funeral for the family, but we're going to set up a memorial as well for Scott and his family. It's been a really tough week. And um, Scott's mom, you can be praying for Pat, obviously, and the girls. Pat lost her mom when she was very young. And it's always been her fear that her children will grow up without the parents as well. And Scott's mom, um, who's very healthy, is a, it's an amazing woman. Uh, we've had a chance to really get to know her in the last few weeks. But uh, she had to witness uh, the passing of her son, which is really one of the toughest things that you can do. And also her mother, her own mother, is also in hospice care as well. So there's a lot of things going on, and we really want uh, everyone to get a chance to pray uh, for them. But you know what the Bible says? I love this scripture a lot. It says, many a man claims to have unfailing love. You know, a lot of people claim, I love God, I love people, I love this, I love that. But a faithful man who can find. You know, Scott was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his children. He was faithful to his church. And he was faithful to his God. And... You know, as, as a Christian, it's when someone dies, it's a funny feeling, isn't it? It's like you're sad at the same time, but there's, a, there's something inside of your heart that, that is glorious, that you feel glorious that he made it to the end. 
And uh, we're going to get a chance to mourn uh, this next week here. we get a chance to celebrate as well and reminisce, share. But at this time, as we close out, let's pray together for that Chia family. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, uh, so many things are so much bigger than us. And life and death itself. Father, help us to have the spirit of this woman in the Bible who really saw all the odds against her, but because she believed that she went up against the most powerful force in her town. And at the end, the Bible says that uh, she got justice. Father, help us to really not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you, to give our, our lives and our soul to you, and trust that you know what to do with it. You will take care of it. And then ultimately justice and all those questions will be answered. Thank you so much for Scott and his faithfulness to you. Father, I pray for his family as we join our hearts together. God, I pray for his, uh, his wife, Pat. I pray for their children. I pray that, uh, God, you really be with them, comfort them as only you can. Please be with Scott's uh, father and, and his mother as well as uh, she's going through even a tougher time uh, with the possible loss of her own mother. Father, we love you so much. We take comfort in you. Help us trust in you, God, and to give everything we have to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand up at this time.